It's rebuilding time. And here's what's crazy. We get to help. And the answer is really clear, isn't it? What are we rebuilding? Everything. We're rebuilding our world. If not us, who? And if not now, when? It's rebuilding time. And together, we get to help. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to week one of Rebuilding. But before I get to that, I just want to say happy Father's Day. I actually want to say thank you. Thank you to all the fathers out there, to all the grandpas out there, to all the uncles, to all the big brothers. Thank you for trying to lead and love and serve and encourage and inspire. See, the thing is, you're you. So maybe you don't know how extraordinary you are. I think those three letters make a big difference. T-R-Y. Try. I think it really sets you apart, actually. And if you read through the Bible, what you'll see is that uh, God is so faithful. When he sees your try, he comes and multiplies your try. That he sees your heart and he sees your try and he takes your encouragement and your inspiration and your love and your leading and your service and, 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 and he uses it in ways that I don't think you even fully understand. So thank you. Thank you for trying. I want to kick off this rebuilding series on Father's Day with a father story. It was about two o'clock in the morning in our little three-bedroom townhouse in downtown. All the bedrooms were upstairs. So Corinne and I are in our room and little baby Emma is in the walk-in closet. Across the hallway, uh, Lucas and Tori each had their own little room. So there was only five of us back then and four out of the five of us were sound asleep. See, I couldn't sleep because it was really hot that night and I don't sleep well in the heat. So I tossed and turned for a couple hours and finally I gave up. I grabbed my pillow and I headed downstairs thinking that it might be a little bit cooler and it was. So I get downstairs and I arranged my pillow. I got all set up, got really comfortable. And just as I was about to fade off to sleep, I had to go to the bathroom. What a night, what a night. So I go to the bathroom, I come back, get my pillow all set up and settle in and just about drift off to sleep again. And I hear a rattling sound come from the kitchen. It wasn't overly loud, but it didn't make sense. You know what I mean? And, and, and so I started to really listen and I heard it again and then I heard it again. So I got up, I walked towards the kitchen. When I got to the doorway that separates the living room from the kitchen, I saw somebody pushing through the blinds and climbing into our kitchen window. I want to tell you when I saw that, it felt like somebody poured like a, a gallon of adrenaline straight into my system. And it's weird because, you know what I didn't have to do in that moment? I didn't have to go through a long decision-making process. You know, like, let's get out a pad of paper right now and go through the pros and cons of what I should do next. Or I didn't have to do a multiple choice type of thing. Like, uh, what should I do here? A, stand right here. B, run away. C, yell, or D, go end that person's life. I immediately, without thinking, went with C and D. So I yelled. And if you talk to Corinne sometime, by the way, she'll still tell you that she can remember the yell that night at about 2.15 a.m. that woke her up from a sound sleep. I yelled and I headed over to that window with great enthusiasm and aggression. Now I want to stop just for a second. I want to tell you, I'm not an overly courageous person. Um, I've never gone bungee jumping. I've never gone skydiving. I've never even gone whitewater rafting. 
I've barely ever gone on a roller coaster because I find them scary. No, no one in my entire life has ever called me, given me the nickname Danger, like Mike Danger Manis, because I avoid danger pretty much every chance I get. But I ran over to the window that night and it wasn't really about bravery, it was about family. See, it was really personal for me because my wife and my three babies are upstairs. So I got there as fast as I could and, and the person who was climbing through the window, they changed their mind, decided they didn't want to drop in for a visit after all. So they kind of scrambled out, they knocked over a chair. I wasn't able to grab them. So I went around, went through the door, chased them, but they were long gone. Now I say all that to say this. Here we are, June 21st, 2020. And I think that despair is climbing through the kitchen window of our culture. It's been quite a six months. Like it's been a six months unlike any six months in my entire lifetime. Like I remember sitting on a Sunday morning back when we were still meeting together on June 26th. I got a text from a, a young man who I used to coach from a different part of our province. And, and he just texted me this, did you hear about Kobe? I said, what, did he win another Academy Award? He said, no, you better watch the news. And so I found out that day that Kobe Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter, Gigi, and seven other people died in a helicopter crash. And it didn't really seem to make sense to me. But what I didn't realize on January the 26th was that was just the beginning. See, since then, we heard of a, a virus from Wuhan, China, and then we heard of an epidemic, and then the epidemic became a pandemic, and then we heard about these projections that were absolutely unbelievable. And then we talked about a quarantine. And then we heard about injustice and racism and violence right there in living color and heartbreak. And I want to tell you, it's been quite a six months, you guys. And I've been thinking about you a lot this week as I prepared this sermon. And I want to tell you something. I'm really proud of you. We just spent an entire sermon series talking about how God just calls us to stand our ground. And that's what you've done. You're still standing. It's amazing to me. I'm really proud of you. And the fact that you tuned in today for Church Online, it really, really says something about you. But here we are on June the 21st, 2020, and my theory is that despair is climbing through the kitchen window of our culture. And we're at a little bit of a turning point. I would go as far as to say this. I would say it's rebuilding time. It's rebuilding time. And we're going to help. Because here's the thing, when we look around our neighborhoods and when we look around our cities and we look around this world, there's something that you and me should notice right away. All these people out here, when I look at you, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the language that you speak, no matter your country of origin, no matter if we agree on everything or not, we're family, you know, you and me. We're part of this family called human. You're my people. And so when we get to this point, to this turning point, to rebuilding time, there's something interesting about Southside Church. We don't need to go through like a long decision-making pr process. We don't need to do a list of pros and cons. We don't need to do multiple choice. We know this for sure, that it's rebuilding time and we're going to help because this is our family and these are our people. So for us, it's personal. Let's pray.
Dear God, really simply, for every single person watching, I pray that you would make us strong so that we can bring strength to others. I pray that you would give us hope so that we can share it. I pray that you would give us love so we could spread it. God, I pray that we would be rebuilt so we in turn can rebuild. And I'm so thankful for every single person, God. For every single one of us, I'm so thankful that in of all the moments in history that you could have chosen to place us in, you've entrusted us with this. It's rebuilding time. And we are so grateful. In your name, amen. So we're gonna talk about a rebuilding story out of the Bible, the story of a guy named Nehemiah. And just to give you a little bit of context on his story, um, I would start back in 1450 BC. Okay, God led the people of Israel, the Jewish nation, out of bondage in Egypt into freedom. He sent a man named Moses, and Moses led the Israelites through the Red Sea on dry land into freedom. And then they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. But in 1410 BC, after Moses had passed away, God sent Joshua. And Joshua led the Jewish nation across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And that was the beginning of the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel went through all kinds of ups and downs. Kind of, you could define it in, in, in basically two different mindsets. Number one, there, there, there was times when the, when the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, when they really leaned into God, they followed him, they trusted him, they sought out his blessing. And when they did that, he blessed them. They were strong, they were united, they were expanding, they were prospering. I guess the two uh, kind of eras where that is really typified in, in, in the Israelite nation would have been the reigns of the, the second and third king of Israel, King David and his son, King Solomon. But then there was other times when the nation of Israel, and I would say more and more and more as time progressed, uh, when they walked away from God, they rejected God, they chose not to follow God. They, 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 they refused his blessing. And when they did that, they were not blessed. So instead of being strong, they became weak. Instead of prospering, they struggled. Instead of expanding, they were actually uh, divided. Divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. So weakened that in 586 BC, uh, the Babylonians came into Israel and conquered the entire country. Ending when they sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and took all the Jewish people into captivity. Okay, and then in 539 BC, uh, the Persian Empire came in and defeated the Babylonians. And so now all the possessions and all the land and all the territory of Israel went to the Persians. But God spoke to Cyrus, king of Persia, and he, and he told Cyrus, send a remnant of Jewish people back to rebuild Jerusalem. And so 50,000 Jews left the Persian Empire, went back to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding. It was super significant because Jerusalem was the city of David. J Jerusalem was where the temple was. Jerusalem had incredible symbolic and spiritual significance to the Jewish people. And so that's the era, era that we step into. That's Nehemiah's era. It's rebuilding time. So we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, 
came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Back in 444 BC, if the, if the walls of the city were broken down, what it meant was the people of that city were vulnerable and afraid. Going back to my story about two o'clock in the morning in my little uh, row house in, in downtown, it, it, it would be like someone is climbing through the kitchen window, not just one night, but every night. And not just the kitchen window, but every window at all times. And what I was going to say at this point, I was going to say, for us in 2020, we can't really relate. But the truth is, we really can. Like this last six months has left many, many people with the walls down in their life. For some people, it's their relational walls. Like we've been in this quarantine, right? And all kinds of people are handling it in all kinds of different ways. Like I talked to a guy the other day. He says like every morning my wife and I get up and we say, can you believe it? We get an extra seven hours with our kids today and they give each other a high five. And that's awesome. And some people don't see it that way. There's some people who are great moms and great dads, and this has really been a struggle, a complete loss of routine, a complete loss of structure. And the truth is they don't really know how to help somebody with grade 10 math, and it's been difficult and stressful. And, and the truth is for others, maybe you can't relate. Maybe you can. But this quarantine says you go and, and, and you spend time with just your family. Do you know there's little boys and little girls who spend time with a family who should be there to support them and keep them safe and loved and protected, but they actually do the opposite. And so the walls are down and they're vulnerable and they're afraid. For some people, it's the walls of health that have been broken down. Here's what a pandemic will do for you. A pandemic will remind you that there's some things in life that we do not control. And when the pandemic first broke and the projections were out, man, there was even fear that our healthcare system might not make it. And there's people with, uh, with the walls down feeling vulnerable and incredibly afraid. For some people, it's their emotional walls that have been broken down. Man, do you, do you know that an overload of bad news is actually like a, an emotional pandemic? Like, have, have you watched the news at all these last six months? First of all, it's difficult for me at this point to watch news because I feel like no one really wants to tell me the story anymore. They just want to make a point and everybody's mad at everybody else, even on the news. But it's been amazing, starting on January 26th with a tragic helicopter crash and then a virus and then an epidemic and then a pandemic and then projections and then a quarantine and then racism and injustice and violence and hatred. And, and it's almost like I, I, I can just imagine the news director sitting around in a meeting and going, you know what? I, I think we have time for like one more story tonight. It's the murder hornets. That's it. That's what we'll do. We'll throw in some murder hornets. That'll be perfect. To the point that I think we've been overloaded on bad news. And I want to give you a suggestion again. And I think this is really important. You need to budget the amount of time you spend looking at the news. Once a day, check it out and move on. So, so the other night I was on the Manus family group chat and I just thought, you know what? I just want to find something cute, 
something like some good news, something cheerful. And so I started searching and I was just sending them video after video after video. And I thought what I would do today is show you a few of them. Maybe it'll cheer you up a little bit too. So here we go. So here's the truth. If a golden retriever doesn't make you happy, there's something wrong with you. Okay, here's the next one. That's cute. That's really cute. Okay, last one. Are you kidding? I have a theory that I'm going to be able to sing and play the drums like that in heaven. That's just incredible. But, but here's the truth. Like, I think we're overloaded with bad news. And, and, and so what I think has happened to us as a culture a little bit is like everybody's walking around on kind of a stress level of nine out of 10. And so maybe you're wondering, well, what's happening? Like, why is it that just a little thing makes me like fly off the handle or burst into tears? And the reason is, is because you have no margin. See, as a culture, our emotional walls are down and we're feeling vulnerable and afraid. And for some people, it's your financial walls. The stock market's all over the place. The job market is, is all over the place. And as much as we all know that you can't build your life on money, your foundations are shaken. And it feels like your financial walls are down and you're vulnerable and you're a little bit afraid. And for so many people in our culture right now, it feels like their spiritual walls have been broken. And they're feeling vulnerable. I'm going to paraphrase a C.S. Lewis quote. He says, If I find in myself a desire that nothing on this earth will satisfy, the most logical conclusion that I could have is that I was made for more than this world. And I'll tell you what, over this last six months, do you get it? We look around a world and it's kind of like, come on, man. Really? This is it? Because I feel like inside of me that I was born for more than this. And the challenge is, for so many people in our culture, they've never actually sat down and taken the time to wonder what is there besides this world. But they are now. See, their spiritual walls are down and they're feeling vulnerable. And here's the thing, it's rebuilding time. And we're gonna help. Because when we look around our neighborhoods and we look around our cities and we look around our world, that's our family. And these are our people. So for us, it's personal. Just like for Nehemiah. Verse four, 
It says this, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. It's really interesting, you know, because Nehemiah is in Susa. That's 1,200 kilometers from Jerusalem. And Nehemiah's living a good life. You know, he was the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes. So he sat at the king's table. He ate all the best food. He drank all the best wine. He had a really good life. And I know some people will tell you, yeah, but if somebody would have tried to poison the king, Nehemiah would have died because he would have drank the wine first. Sure. In 444 BC, can you take my word for this? No one was going to try to kill the king of Persia. It wasn't going to happen. So Nehemiah had like a really good life. But he finds out that the walls of Jerusalem are down 1,200 kilometers away and he weeps for days and he fasts and he prays. Why would he do that? See, Nehemiah is a follower of God. And one of the things that marks people who follow God is empathy. Empathy. Empathy is the ability that someone has, the willingness that someone has to actually place themselves in the position of that hurting person. And for that reason, empathy always propels people to action. I guess it makes sense, doesn't it? Like for us, we're followers of Jesus. And Jesus is empathy. Jesus saw a hurting and broken, hopeless world. And he didn't sit back with sympathy and go, oh, that's too bad. He stepped in. He put himself literally in our place. He stepped into human history. He became one of us. He moved into the neighborhood. He showed us the love and the mercy and the grace of God. He laid down his life on a cross and then he rose again for you and for me. He is empathy. See, a follower of God, their life is marked by empathy. It's like Zechariah 7 verses 8 to 10 says, the Lord gave this message to Zechariah. Long ago, I gave these commands to my people. Listen, you must see that justice is done and must show kindness and mercy to one another. Don't oppress widows, orphans, foreigners who live among you or anyone else in need and do not plan ways of harming one another. See, injustice and pain and grief for anyone is injustice and pain and grief for me. We take it personal. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7. He said, Here, here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you and then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets and this is what you get. Grab the initiative and do it for them. Like imagine that your family was in great need and you weren't there to help them. What would you want someone to do for them? Do that. See, it's rebuilding time. And we're going to help because this is our family and these are our people. So for us, this is personal. It's kind of in our DNA. And, 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 I, and I thought, I said that a couple times today. It's in our DNA. And I, I thought maybe you join us for the first time or maybe you just started joining us a few weeks ago on Southside Church Online and you wonder, well, what is the Southside DNA? And I was trying to think of a way to really express it. So, so, so I guess one way that I could do it is I could share with you what we call our five core values. Our five core values. They're just really simple statements, but I think they define our DNA. So the first of our core values is this. Disciples grow. 
Can I be absolutely real with you? The last thing that I want to do as I stand up here today is tell you, man, it's been a tough six months for everybody else, but thank goodness we're doing great. You know, like we're so strong and we're so confident. We're doing so well. We're going to get out there and help everybody. That's not true. This has been tough. I'm so proud of you that you're still standing, but we got to grow. Like we need help. Like we need God to give us strength if we're going to show strength to others. We, we, we need God to rebuild us if we're going to go out and help rebuild. We, we, we need God's help in this time if we're going to be able to help others. So disciples grow. In other words, we never forget that we need God every day and we really need him now. So that's the first of our core values. Disciples grow. And, and the second is just save people, serve people. Save people, serve. We figured out a long time ago, you know, what Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to serve than to be served. It's more, it's more blessed to help others than to stand back and watch. And that's what we do. I want to give you a heads up. We're moving into a new season of our church that's going to require all hands on deck. So many different things because it's not like, you know this already, but, it, but it's not like we're going to be going from um, church online to suddenly back to normal the way we were. It's going to be a lot different than that. It's going to be a long process. There's going to be small group meetings. There's going to be all sorts of stuff happening. And there's going to be, we, we all are going to need to roll up our sleeves and help. And I really want you to invite you to be looking ahead to that. And another thing is over these last weeks, over these last months, we've launched a new campus. Did you know that? That the online campus is here to stay. And the reason why the online campus has been so amazing, by the way, is the dozens of volunteers that are making it happen. It's incredible. Thank you so much. And that's not going away. It's a huge opportunity. So I can't wait until we begin to meet more in person, but also continue to put that time into the online. And by the way, here's something that we do every summer. We do something called For This City. Do you know why we do that? Because we're for the city. And, and, and I was thinking to myself, we're going to definitely do it again this summer. And I wonder what city you're in because we're for your city too. I wonder this summer how we're going to do for this city in Chilliwack, but also in your city. I can't wait. And also, I never told the staff that until just now. So I'm sure they can't wait that I said that, but it is going to be incredible. So number one, disciples grow. Number two, safe people serve. Uh, number three, we're in this together. You know what the world really needs right now? The world needs unity. And I can tell you something, that we can only bring unity if we're unified. So, so last week we talked about it a little bit. I, I really believe that one of the areas of resistance that you're going to face, that I'm going to face in this next season, is, uh, well, we're going to have to fight for unity in our marriages, in our families, in our small groups, as, as a people. And I've even noticed it over the last week in some of my key relationships and they're going real well, but I noticed that some effort is going to have to be placed in fighting for unity so that we can bring unity. Okay, so the core values, disciples grow, safe people serve, we're in this together. And then the fourth one is God's people give. God's people give. Um, if not us, who? And if not now, when? <laughs> like our people need our help. I, th I think giving to the church, one of the greatest stories that illustrates that is a story of this little boy who gives five 
loaves of bread and two fish to Jesus. And Jesus takes those loaves and those fish and he multiplies them and he feeds thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And, and, and then after everyone's eaten, um, they gather in the leftovers and there's 12 basket, baskets of leftovers, right? And isn't that incredible? Be, because this little boy, he was a blessing, wasn't he? Because he gave his, his five loaves and his two fish, but he was also blessed more than he was a blessing even. That's, that's what God's faithfulness is in our finances. That how it, that's how it plays out. It's in our DNA. Every year as a church, we give millions of dollars to bring hope and help to our city and to our world. Okay, so disciples grow, safe people serve, we're in this together, um, God's people give, and finally found people find people. People's spiritual walls are down. And what they're finding is that um, they're finding inside of themselves a longing for, for what they're not finding in our world what they're not seeing in our world. And, and, and we get the chance to tell them that the more that they've been looking for all along, his name is Jesus and he's our savior. And, and, and because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, uh, it changes everything. That when Jesus died, it means that we can get past our past. That our sins are forgiven and that our hurts are healed. And that because Jesus rose again, it means that I have enough strength to, to keep moving forward today, to keep standing today. And I have hope for tomorrow that come what may, he'll be with me. And the promise of eternity, where every longing that I've ever had is finally, fully, eternally, completely satisfied. Adventure, wonder, exploration, pleasure, joy, happiness, all of us, all of it eternally fulfilled. See, it's rebuilding time and we're going to help because this is our family and these are our people. So for us, it's personal. It's like I said at the beginning, dis despair is climbing through the kitchen window of our culture. And we don't have to sit there and and do a pros and cons list or multiple choice. It's in our DNA. We arrive with great enthusiasm and great aggression. And we say to despair, wrong window, wrong city. This is our family. These are our people. So for us, it's personal. And when helplessness comes climbing through the kitchen window of our cities, we show up with great enthusiasm and great aggression. And we say, wrong window, wrong city. See, this is our family. These are our people. So for us, it's personal. And when hopelessness comes climbing in the kitchen window of our cities and our neighborhoods and our world, we show up because that's who we are with great aggression and great enthusiasm. And we say, wrong window, wrong day. See, this is our family. These are our people. And for us, it's personal. And when heartbreak and darkness and defeat come climbing through the kitchen window of our culture, we arrive with great enthusiasm and great aggression. And we say, 
Wrong window. Wrong city. See, this city is full of our people. This is our family. So for us, it's personal. It's rebuilding time. And we get to help. Because <laughs> this is our family. And these are our people. So for us, it's personal. So just before I close, I want to ask you one question. And, and it's a question that I ask a lot. I just, I just want to ask you how you're doing. I, want, I wonder if you're maybe somebody who feels like your spiritual walls have been knocked down through this last six months. That you have a longing for so much more than you see out there. And I, I want to tell you again, I know the more that you're looking for. His name is Jesus. And he loves you so much. He stepped into human history for you. He, he lived, died, and rose again for you. And I really believe that you're watching this today because he's calling you to accept his free gift of forgiveness, his free gift of salvation. And your part is to, just to accept his gift. So if that's you today, if, if you've been looking for more and you just realize, even as I'm speaking, that Jesus is the more that you've been looking for, I just wanna pray. And I want you to join me wherever you are um, join me in this prayer. So God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. And Jesus, today I want to accept you as my savior. I pray that you would forgive my sins and give me a clean slate and a fresh start right now. And Jesus, I thank you that you rose again, that you defeated death and you defeated darkness. And it means that you give me strength for today. I accept it and hope for tomorrow and the promise of eternity where every single need that I've ever had will be finally fully satisfied in you eternally. I'm so thankful. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, I want to say I am so excited. The best is yet to come. So why don't you do me a favor right now and why don't you text the keyword life right here on the chat. You can do it. You can go on to uh, our text number 604-670-3040. Text that keyword life. You can go onto southsidelife.com, onto the message box called hashtag Southside Together. You can do that if you want. And uh, we, we just want to support you. We don't want to stalk you, but we really want to support you and see you. Um, we, if the best really is yet to come, and I know it is, we want to walk with you into that best that's yet to come. All right? So for the rest of us, I am so thankful that we get to be alive. So thankful. It's rebuilding time. And we're going to help because this is our family. And so for us, it's personal.